Shall we pray as we stand? Father, Lord, we thank you for your love for us, shown to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that whatever our week's been like, whatever our present circumstances, you might fill us with the joy of knowing him. Would that joy displace all fear and give us peace? Help me to speak, Lord, but we pray that you might bring glory to your Son in his name. Amen. Amen. Do you take a seat. Please keep open uh, Luke 15. It should be on page 1048. I'd love it if you're able to follow along with me as you go along. You've got this little luminous sheet which uh, might give you an idea of where I'm going. I don't know about you, but I hate the feeling of being lost. You know the feeling. You're in the car, you're on the way somewhere, you're slightly late, and you haven't the foggiest where you are. You seem to be stuck in this irritating one-way system or a road detour, and you cannot find your way out. You're lost. I hate that feeling. It it sort of raises hackles in the back of my neck. But it might be we we don't really experience that very often. We we don't have smartphones, don't we? And so we sort of stick that on our dashboard, and very rarely do we feel lost. But it is possible. It is possible to be absolutely lost, and yet just not realise it. I came across the news article recently of a Belgian woman called Mrs. Sabine Moreau. She went up to pick up her friend from a, from a local train station. I think it was about 38 miles away. And uh, she wasn't quite sure of the, the journey, so she tapped it into a sat-nav and, and off she went to pick up her friend. Two days later, and after a 900-mile journey, Mrs. Moreau found herself entering Croatia. <laughs> Despite crossing five country borders, for some reason, she never stopped to question her sat-nav. And uh, her son back home, he called the police. There's this this manhunt underway, and her poor friend at the train station. (laughs) Hopeless. Well, our passage, which was uh, read a moment ago, you may have noticed the repeated theme. We have a lost sheep, we have a lost coin, and we have a lost son. And in many ways, this lad, who we're going to focus on uh, this evening, this lad in many ways is a very typical teenager, isn't he? He's chasing new sights, uh, new sounds, new experiences. I, th- I think TV talk show hosts, they call this finding yourself, don't they? He's off to find himself. But in that desire to find himself, he gets absolutely lost. Um, and actually, that's, that's my experience at one point in time. Maybe that's, maybe that's yours too. That's one way to get lost. But there is another way in this passage. And we're going to see that this other way is far more dangerous. It is far harder to identify. And for us here tonight, it is actually far more likely. As Mrs. Moreau discovered, it's possible to be absolutely lost and just not realise it. At the beginning of chapter 15, if you look down, we find Jesus caught in a scandal. He's at another dinner party, but instead of the usual guest list of respectable people, he's accompanied this time by notorious sinners, prostitutes, thieves, tax collectors. And back then, to eat with someone was a sign that you accepted them, that you embraced them. So naturally, the religious leaders of the day, the other rabbis, they're horrified by what Jesus is doing. And they're scratching their heads and they're wondering how how a man of God can associate with people like that. Perhaps they feared the headlines of the newspapers. Rabbi 
hangs out with prostitutes. It would have been an utter scandal. So to, to address their concerns, Jesus tells these three stories. And you'll see from your, your luminous handout, we're going to spend our time largely on the, on the last story, the third story there. And our first point, we're going to see that he is lost in sin, the son who is lost in sin. Follow with me from uh, verse 11 in your Bibles. Please look down if you've closed your Bibles, open them up again and uh, follow with me from verse 11 on page 1049. Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now this request, it would have amazed Jesus' listeners. It's not wrong, is it, to expect your father to leave you an inheritance. That's quite normal. It's just that normally the polite thing to do is to wait until your father dies until you actually ask for it. Clearly, this son sees his father as just a means to get rich. Give me what is mine now, he says. In effect, the son would prefer his father would die, just so he can get what's coming to him. Now, we expect this request to go down particularly badly, don't we? Particularly in a culture like this, where respect for elders is paramount. We expect the father to to throw his son out of the home, cut him off perhaps from his inheritance... But what does he do? We'll look down again, verse 12. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Or literally, in the original, he divided his life between them. You see, back then, your property really was your livelihood. It's where you grew your crops. It's where you sort of cared for your animals. And so for the father to sort of cut up his land and give it to his sons was effectively for him to cut up his life. That's a costly thing to do for a selfish brat of a son. Verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. We assume he sold the land. And he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth with wild living. So with money under his belt, the lad sets off to travel the world, no longer with these sort of moral handcuffs which his father might have imposed on him. And perhaps the country he's heading to has slightly more relaxed laws, and so he's hitting the clubs. He's hitting the bottle. He's taking girls home every single night, sometimes paying for their company. And as the months pass by, he's getting into a wilder, and wilder things, each day going further and further in pursuit of pleasure. He tells people, he tells his friends that he's finding himself, that he feels free now that he's away from his father back home. But one day, we can imagine, he he goes to the ancient equivalent of an ATM machine, I'm not sure what that would be, and he sort of bleeps in his his pin code, But, but then this sort of red error sort of pops up in his face. And to his horror, he discovers that not only has all of his money been blown, he's also worn in a massive hole into his overdraft. Disaster. But the situation gets even worse in verse 14. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. 
So he went to hire himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Older Bibles, they call this story the story of the prodigal son. You heard that word, prodigal? It's the old word for for someone who spends recklessly. And this lad, he's he's done just that, hasn't he? He's gone from riches to rags. He's gone from prosperous playboy to penniless pig boy. He's a Jewish lad working for Gentiles, living with unclean animals. And so in his great search to find himself, he ends up utterly, utterly lost. At this point in the story, you might be thinking, what an idiot, what a fool. Perhaps we uh, know people who've done something similar in the name of self-discovery. Maybe we think of that, that teenager on the gap year adventure who ends off completely off the rails. We know this story, it's familiar, isn't it? But I wonder if Jesus' story here it hits closer to home for us here tonight. You see, this is the story of our lives in some respects. Our loving Heavenly Father, he's given us this amazing world to enjoy. And we love the world he's given us, don't we? We love our families, we love our friends, we love our careers, our possessions, we love our sports and our hobbies. We love these good gifts. It's just that we're just not so interested in the giver of the gifts. So like the son in our story, we say to the God who made us and gave everything he had for us, we say to him, I want your stuff, but I don't want you. We replace our creator God with created things. And just like the father in this story, amazingly, God, he he treats us like adults. He gives us what we ask for. He gives us that independence which we wanted. And so God, he hands us over to our sin. Leaving us spiritually lost. Many people, they, they go through life completely unaware of this situation which they have before God. But, but this lad in our story, he's painfully aware now, isn't he? He's hit rock bottom. And perhaps you, you sort of resonate with that here uh, tonight. Maybe you've come to discover yourself that sin, it doesn't satisfy. It promises a lot, doesn't it? It promises a great deal. But it delivers so little. It makes great boasts, but what does it actually deliver? Or perhaps like the sun here, you've looked for life and satisfaction and meaning in all of the wrong places. Our jobs, our families, our possessions, our stuff. These are good things, aren't they? Good things. But none of these things can bear the weight of of expectation that we sort of place upon them. And none of them can replace the Father who, who gave them to us. And so by looking for life and meaning and satisfaction, all these other places, we've ended up empty and lost. If you're here tonight and and this young man's story looks a lot like your story, I'd urge you to do what he does in verse 17. Verse 17, he comes to his senses. He needs to do something. But but, but what, what should we do? What should we do? Well, if we're lost in sin, secondly on our handouts, we need to be found by God. That's our second point. 
In verse 17, this young lad, he hatches a brilliant plan. Look down with me, verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll go out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against you and and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. So the lad, he's got a plan. Step one, he's going to admit his guilt. And then step two, he's going to try and work off this debt, this debt which he owes to his family. Well, let's see how that plan turns out in in verse 20 again. But while the son was still a very long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. What a great picture. You can imagine the father there seeing this distant figure off in the horizon, squinting to sort of see who, who it is. And then that, there's that slow, dawning realisation that this is his long-lost son, and the father runs to him. He runs. Now you need to know that, as a general rule, distinguished heads of Middle Eastern families, they don't run. Little children run. Young boys run. Young men and soldiers, they might run. But old heads of the household, distinguished members, pillars of society, they don't hoist up their robes, bare their legs and run. They don't do that. But this one does. He runs, forsaking his honour, disregarding the shame and ignoring the, the stench of pig. He wraps his arms around his son and he kisses him. The boy is is stunned by his father's response. And and he starts to reel off his prepared speech in verse 21. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it upon him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This son, he, he deserves nothing. But what does the father give him? He's given the very best robe. This would have been that the father's own robe. It's a symbol of his restoration back into the family. He's also given a special ring. It's a token that, that shows he's got um, his inheritance back, even though he squandered it all. There's no need for groveling. There's there's no need to repay the debt. The father seems to completely ignore uh, the son's plan. He doesn't care where he's been. He doesn't care what he's done. He's just so glad that his lost son is now found. Now, if you think that's love, just stop for a moment and think what our God has done for us. He has gone to extraordinary lengths to find spiritually lost people like you and me. And really, that's the point of the previous couple of stories. We have a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. He loses one of them. What does he do? Well, he recklessly leaves the 99 and goes off in search of the one. We have a woman who has ten coins and she she loses one of them. She spends the entire day sweeping and searching just to find 
that one coin. Well, what did our God do to find lost people like us? Well, forsaking his honour, he entered our world and with arms stretched out for us, he embraced us. He embraced us, even though we are unclean sinners. So if you're here tonight feeling spiritually lost, wondering how on earth you could pay that debt back to God, all that the debt of the things you've done, the things you thought, the things you said, thinking you need to earn your place in the family. If you're thinking that tonight, well, the good news is you're wrong. Simply return to him. Return to him with your sin, with your debt, with your uncleanness and your shame. And God will welcome you back. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. He'll remove your sin. He will pay your debt. He will clothe you with his very own righteousness. This love is totally undeserved. And friends, it is absolutely real. And it is for you. It is for you here tonight. If you'll have it. Tonight would be a great night to return to your father. And to be found by him. If that's you, why not talk to the friend who brought you? Please come chat with me. I'd love to share more about what that might mean at returning to the Father. In fact, we're running a Christianity Explored course in a couple of weeks' time. Maybe you've got big questions about the Christian faith. We'd love you to come to that. Maybe come next week and have all your answers, questions answered. Please do come because it's important to be found by your Father. Now, we kind of expect the story to end there, don't we? And if you go home later and uh, check a, a children's Bible, this is probably where the story ends at this point. Uh, maybe you've heard this story preached before, and, and maybe that's where the story ended. Uh, but Jesus has actually yet to deliver his punchline. If you remember back at the beginning, he's telling this story to the religious leaders of the day. It's the churchgoers. It's the people who think they're morally uh, respectable. And, uh, and so, so far, it's unlikely this story would have really hit home for them. They would have been thinking, this story is for the tax collectors and for the sinners. Uh, people who, the, the tax collectors who sold themselves out to the Gentile overlords. And maybe that's what we've been thinking for the last few moments. Uh, thinking, oh, yeah, we know this story, but, but this isn't for me. This is for that other guy I'm thinking about. This is for them out there, isn't it? And we can think of all those people this applies to, but it's not me. But if that's the case, then the next few verses really are for you. Remember how I said at the beginning, there are two ways to get lost. You can be lost in sin. But the far more dangerous way is to be lost in self-righteousness. And that's our third point over the side of the back of your sheets. Verse 25, we meet the older brother, the obedient stay-at-home son. Follow with me in your Bibles from verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He called out to one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother's come, he replied, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has him safe, back and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look... All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. 
Yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Perhaps we can sympathise with the uh, older brother here. Imagine, uh, Imagine if your younger brother runs off with half your family's inheritance and blows it all. Which now means you're left back home flogging yourself to keep the family business running. It's a job which is now far harder, and you've got one less helper and half the resources to do it with. Money's very tight, and so all unnecessary expenditure has to be done away with, so no parties for you. It's just a hard, hard grind. But then one day, your brother returns out of the blue, and he's welcomed back into the family as if nothing has ever happened, back into your inheritance. And so... That now means you're going to get a far smaller piece of the already diminished pie of the inheritance. And what really rubs salt into the wound is that a massive party is held in his honour. But where's your party? Where's your party? You've been serving your father for years, but to to you, this situation just seems totally unfair. We can sympathise with him, can't we? And I wonder if the fact that we can sympathise with him, it kind of shows we might have a similar attitude to him. Perhaps like him, we think that God must reward us for our obedience. That God owes us something because of the way we serve him. Really, this is the heart of self-righteousness. It's much bigger than just looking down at someone else, thinking you're better than them. I've put on your handouts a few diagnostic questions. I wonder if they might be useful just for a moment to look at. Try and work out, is, is this really us? Here's the first question, if you look down. How do you react when life doesn't go your way? And perhaps at work you've been passed over for a promotion. Or maybe a romantic advance of yours has been spurned. Or maybe you've fallen ill yet again, you have this recurring illness. Well, when you've dealt a bad hand in life, Are you just disappointed or are you angry and bitter because you think you've earned a better hand than the one you've got? How do you react when life doesn't go your way? Or the second question here, how do you respond when people don't seem to appreciate what you do? Maybe in your work you feel as if you might be overlooked or maybe in the home, what you do in the home, your spouse doesn't really seem to appreciate it or... Or maybe um, here at church, um, you don't feel you're being appreciated for what you're doing. In that sort of situation, do you joyfully keep on serving anyway? Or do we become better and reluctant to serve at all? Because honestly, what's the point of serving unless people are going to notice and reward us? A third question here, how, how do you think of yourself in relation to the others here at church tonight? What strikes me about this older son here is that he he doesn't really think of himself as the brother of the prodigal. When talking to his father, he merely dubs the the other lad, this son of yours. And I wonder, do we consider one another brothers and sisters here tonight? Do you consider their problems your problems? Or are they someone else's problem? Someone else can love them. Someone else can look after them. 
What about your prayer life, fourthly? What's your prayer life like? Is it, is it full of praise and, and adoration and wonder at the gospel and what he's done for us? Or does your prayer life more resemble a shopping list of needs and wants from God? These questions, they, they, they cut me pretty deep. You see, I, I don't think coming in tonight any of us would have said, oh, I, I'm self-righteous, but, but uh, perhaps our joyless, thankless, self-centred, going through the motions Christianity, perhaps it shows that we're just as lost as this son in the pigsty. So this parable ends on a bit of a cliffhanger ending. The sinful younger brother is found and he's in the party, but the self-righteous older brother, he's still lost and he's outside the party. And that's tragic because you should know that parties really are at the heart of the Christian faith. You may have noticed actually there are three parties in this chapter. Uh, The shepherd throws a party when he finds a sheep. I hope mutton wasn't on the menu. Uh, The woman actually finds a coin. She throws a party and probably spends the coin to do so. And the father here, he throws a party when he finds his son. Jesus' point is pretty obvious, isn't it? There is a joyful celebration when when God saves sinners. But if... If, like the older brother here, or or, or the religious leaders in this passage, if if there isn't that joy in us, then we need to question whether we're really in the party at all. And again, that's the cliffhanger for us here tonight. Are we lost, or are we found? Well, the good news is that the Father wants us in the party. Just look at the last verse, verse 31. Look at these tender words the father extends to his older son. My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Here we see that there is hope for those of us outside the party, those lost in in self-righteousness. Because once we see that God owes us nothing, then we begin to see just how much God has already given us. He's given us everything. He could not give us any more than what he has already given. And once we see this grace shown to us, our our gratitude, friends, it it will no doubt overflow in in the way we think about our lives, overflow in the way we serve perhaps at church, overflow in the way we relate to one another and the way we relate to God in prayer. Each of us here tonight, we can be confident that we've been found by God, not because of anything we've done, not because we can pay the debt, not because we're serving so efficiently, Simply because of his reckless, prodigal love shown to us in Christ. God is good. He is a reckless, loving God. Let's bow our heads and pray.